Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, where is the real Mount Sinai? There have been more than a dozen mountains uh, proposed. Does any one of them show more promise than any other? Well, we're going to get into it a little bit today, actually a lot today. We're also going to talk a little bit about the evidence for the Exodus itself, because quite frequently you hear minimalists, archaeological minimalists, claiming, well, the Exodus never occurred or it occurred in a different century than when we think it occurred, if it occurred at all. What's the evidence for it? Well, my friend Tim Mahoney is an award-winning director. He's done six feature films, and one of them is going to be in theaters this Monday and Wednesday nights, May 15th and May 17th. And his website is PatternsOfEvidence.com. That's where you can get tickets to this. But we're going to talk a little bit about the film today, what's in it. Here are some of the films, these documentaries he's put together. Patterns of Evidence, Mount Sinai, Part 1 and Part 2. Part 2 comes out uh, May 15th and May 17th in theaters. He's also done the Red Sea Miracle, Parts 1 and 2. He's done the Moses Controversy and the Exodus. And Tim is the founder of Thinking Man Films and Media. He's out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Just got over two feet of snow there just about a week ago. Uh, And uh, he, he does international documentaries. The film that uh, he has been working on for 20 years is the one that is coming to theaters this Monday and Wednesday nights. We had Tim on about six or eight months ago when part one came out, but now part two is coming out, so we're going to hear what mountains he actually evaluates here in part two of Mount Sinai, and it's always great having Tim on. By the way, he's got a great website, PatternsOfEvidence.com. you got to check out. Tim, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Frank, for having me on. Oh, absolutely. You're digging out of snow, and it's May. What's going on up there, man? You're in Minnesota. Why do you still live in Minnesota when you get when you get snow in May? Aren't, aren't you just like ready to move to Florida or what? Yeah, well, my daughter did, actually. My daughter and, and her husband said, we're done with this. We're going to Florida. So uh, they left. But the rest of us are here, and that's the challenge. When all your relatives are in, in an area, it's hard to know where you belong anymore, especially right. when there's this much snow. Now, I actually did a, do- a documentary about coming home, and now you're probably thinking of moving your home, right? Like, let's, let's get out of here. Well, let's go back 20 years. 2003, this is where this kind of started for you, this sort of fascination with uh, the exodus. What happened in 2003 that said, you know, I got to really make some documentaries about this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it actually started a little bit before that in 2002 when I had heard that there was... Uh, people that had come out of Saudi Arabia and uh, they had taken photographs. And I I had seen those photographs and they were showing uh, evidences of altars, 
pillars. Uh, the Bible talks about Mount Sinai having uh, Moses have, have, had built an altar there, and there were pillars. Uh, they talked about golden calf altar and and a graveyard for for uh, people who had been killed worshiping the golden calf. All of that fascinated me, and now I have been given the opportunity to talk with this couple, uh, and it was Jim and Penny Caldwell. Yes, I know and, Jim and Penny. I've talked to them myself. They're great yes. people. Yeah. They, yes, and and we we had met with them uh, over the phone the first time. And there's another person by the name of Dr. Leonard Moeller. And mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Moeller was a DNA research scientist. He had been in another film earlier that I saw. And as I was watching that film, I really felt that in my heart that the Lord was saying, that's the man that you need to talk to. And I called him up in Sweden. And I said, Dr. Moeller, I, I'm working on a movie on the Exodus. And he just interrupted me. And he said, yes. <laughs> and I go, yes. And I, he said, yes. <laughs> and and I, I was trying to uh, explain to him that I said, what, I, what I'm, I'm working on this movie. And he goes, yes. <laughs> and I said, well, what I wanted to ask you was, would you come to Minnesota so uh, we could meet and talk about making a film? And before I could say it, he said, yes. And then later he told me when he came to Minnesota that the Lord had already told him that someone would call, and he was to say yes. <laughs> and wow, he, he was did. He, he was saying yes before I even asked the question, and and he came. And at that same time, we get this other connection with the Caldwells. Now, here's what's really interesting, Frank, is that Jim Caldwell, he and his wife, for people who don't know, Jim worked in the oil industry, and they thought they were just going to go there for a little while and make some money, make some really good money and come in home. In Saudi Arabia. Yep, yeah, in Saudi Arabia. I'm sorry. Yes, mm -hmm. they, they went to Saudi Arabia. And uh, they, they thought they were going to come home with the, all the money they made and buy a hardware store mm -hmm. and, and work in the hardware business. And well, that didn't happen. And Jim and Penny started um, these uh, hearing about this location. There's other parts, the back parts of the story. And they started searching for Mount Sinai on their own. And that led them to Jebel Allah's. And this is where a lot of this footage and photographs came from, from this couple over the course of a number of years photographing all this. So here we are, our first phone, phone call. And uh, Jim tells us that he made it to the peak of the mountain. And, and I can't remember exactly the date. I want to say September 17th, but it might be wrong. But he made it there to one peak, and, um, uh, he's, and he says it was my birthday. Jim was on his birthday. And then he made it to the second peak uh, a little while later on, on his other birthday. And Leonard Moeller uh, paused. And what was interesting about this was that uh, when we found out what the date was that both men were born on the same day. Both Jim and Leonard Moeller were born on that day that Jim made it to the top of the peak. Not only that, they were born the same year. Wow. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Two men from, how often does that happen, right. you know, Frank? Two men from, uh, on the other side of the world, both are passionate and wanting to explore this location of Mount Sinai. Well, we ended up uh, meeting another person by the name of Dr. Glenn Fritz, and he had some connections with tour groups. And we were able to connect with people within the Saudi government, and we were able to get a tour in 2003, in May of two, 2003, May 1st is when we went in, uh, and we gave him the, the locations we wanted to go to. And the Caldwells, when we got there, they couldn't believe it because it was so difficult when they were living there to go to these places. And... Um, 
we ended up, uh, the first three days were great until we got to Jebel Allah's. And that's when uh, this great, wonderful trip that we thought was impossible became very, very difficult. <laughs> so it, it, that's when the, the authorities of the area came out and told us, you got to get out of here. You're not allowed here. But we, had, we, were, we were supposed to be there because the government said we could be there. It was a big problem. And I was somewhat the center of attention because I was the guy with the camera. And once they found out that we were there and there's a connection to Moses, that in 2003 was not a good thing. And you had permission to be there from the authorities, but the local authorities, when you got there, shooed you off. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was confrontational. And um, that began uh, two hard weeks for us because, uh, you know, here we were supposed to be in this area and in different sites. Uh, and every time we were around there, we were being followed and being told to move. And it was a big problem. And it was very stressful. Um, I did some amazing photography, and that's when I first started filming this film, uh, which we now call Journey to Mount Sinai. And but the challenge was that when just for everyone's safety, the 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 guide felt that you know you you got to take give me this footage, you know this is bigger than what I thought it was, and this uh, the 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 concern the Caldwells had was real that this was a site that was off limits. And you know when Bob Cornuk and Laurie mm -hmm. Williams went there. And then this began with um, um, Ron Wyatt early mm -hmm. on when he got there and he got arrested. So these sites were fenced. They had guards. Um, this was a very difficult place. But, and it, then it became a very controversial location to look. Look at. Well, yeah. we're going to see why it's even considered as the real Mount Sinai. Doesn't everybody know that the... Uh that Sinai's in the Sinai Peninsula. I mean, that's been the traditional site for centuries. Why would we ever suggest that Mount Sinai could be somewhere else or Saudi Arabia? We'll talk about it right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network, back in two. Where is the real Mount Sinai? What evidence do we have that there even was an exodus? We're talking to documentary filmmaker Tim Mahoney. This is, I believe, Tim, this is your sixth documentary in this, on, kind of in this genre about exodus. And this one is going to hit theaters Monday night, May 15th, and Wednesday night, May 17th. If you go to PatternsOfEvidence.com, ladies and gentlemen, you can figure out where it is in your area, and it's well worth seeing. I saw a rough cut uh, about a month and a half ago, and Tim, you're, you're saying it's even better than the rough cut, and it was the rough cut was good, so the, the final version is going to be even better. You can take small groups to it. You can take your Bible study to it. You can take... Uh, uh, homeschool kids or any kids you can take any adults does it's for everyone you're going to love this uh documentary uh but before we get into the documentary tim so you're in saudi arabia 20 years ago 2003 you're shooed off you've got to give them the, your footage they won't let let you take the footage out is that right yeah that's what ended up happening and uh we did get some still photography but all the footage that i had taken over the course of several weeks because i thought uh that this movie was going to be like done in 2003 and i ha <laughs> and i had amazing film you know to show uh, -huh. uh and uh, uh you know when i came home i really uh i actually was very sick i ended up in the hospital uh, uh I, I don't know what happened to me if i ate something uh, and whatever it was uh i i was very 
I would probably use the word, I hate to use the word depressed, but depressed would probably be the word uh, because uh, it was maybe such a traumatic. Maybe spiritually depressed. Yeah maybe, yeah, maybe oppressed. Who knows? You know, yeah. I, I ended up buying a camping trailer and I camped one year for over 100 days. Not straight, but I mean, I was just getting out in the out in the woods, looking at staring at a campfire, and I was asking God, "What am I supposed to do now?" And trying to figure all this out. Uh, and I think there was a spiritual dynamic to this because there is a different feeling and a different sense when you go into certain countries. And um, maybe I had a, a spiritual oppression or something that was was following me, and a fear. By the way, uh, there was a level of fear that I had. That I had to, I had to work past that, and and by this time I hadn't even made the first film on the Exodus. Uh, I, I had dived into an enormous pool of of the Bible when it comes to searching for things, and um, eventually I would develop this first film, which you know we have a lot of people who are critical of the Bible. They say there's no evidence for the Bible, and the thing that was cool about you know uh, what you and I are doing is that we're looking for we're looking at science uh, to to actually reveal God acting in history, God acting in nature. And um, and then in the universe, and the patterns are there. And I love the pattern of evidence, um, you know, approach that we've taken because it's given me an opportunity to say, well, what does the Bible say? Even when critics have been dismissive of it, you can put the pattern up, and then you can just say, hey, does it measure up? And that's what we ended up finding in the very first film was a pattern for the arrival of the Israelites, for their multiplication, for their enslavement, for the judgment of Egypt. The exodus out of Egypt and the you know conquest of the Promised Land. There is a pattern there that matches the biblical text, but people have a, have been ignoring it because it's earlier in time. Mm. Yeah, you put you point that out quite well in a previous in a previous documentary that the right century to be looking for the Exodus is actually um, in the 1400s BC, not the 1200s BC. And uh, so many scholars say there's no evidence for the Exodus because they're looking in the 1200s <laughs> rather than the 1400s. And when you look at the 1400s, wow, all this evidence just pops out. And uh, but let, let's let's go back, Tim, to the uh, location of Mount Sinai. Uh, Helena, who was the who was the mother of Constantine, named the traditional location in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. Do you happen to know, I mean, you evaluated that in the in part one as a potential site, obviously, it needs to be considered. Uh, what does it have going for it as the traditional site, or let me put it this way, what does the traditional site of Mount Sinai have uh, with regard to evidence uh, that it is the true Mount Sinai, evidence from the Bible? What, how good is it? Well, that's when I uh, I actually created something called the Mount Sinai Scorecard to help me and help the audience, um, and you can download this on our website. But the the real thing that that location has is tradition, and it also has toponyms, and toponyms are place names or the names of lo locations that people give to them. So there's a number of names that are that are following us out of Egypt where people can say, look, here's the name for this Elam, or here's a name for this Sukkoth. You know, uh, they, they see connections to the names, and they tie those names to where the traditional Mount Sinai is. That's the most 
probably strongest evidence that they use. But the challenge is, is were those names just given because Queen Helena proclaimed this and then they backfilled all the names? Right. That's, that is the big question because uh, the, there's another issue. Uh, if you look at it, it has to do with distance and time traveled. Uh, the Bible says it took 45 to 60 days, uh, I mean, depending on how you interpret it, for the Israelites to reach Mount Sinai. And the challenge is that uh, the traditional Mount Sinai isn't really that far away from uh, where they would have departed uh, as far as the travel time. So they have to have—it's uh, about 20 miles a day, by the way, is the average that people could could walk and and uh, uh, in, in giving it that—and that, then there's the issue of water. Mm. So one of the big challenges is is that the Bible has a larger group of people in the Exodus. It says there's like six hundred thousand men. If you add women and children, that could be two to three million people. Well, then the question would be: Is there enough space for that many people? And where would they get the water? Uh, you know. And so these are big questions. Then people say, "Well, there's no way that you could have that many people in the desert." But that's uh, if you take a literal look at it, of that amount, uh, uh, that that has to do with a term, I think it's called elaf. Elaf, uh, uh, it's a Hebrew word for um, thousand. And that particular number shows up in other parts of, uh, of this journey, and it looks like there was a lot of people there. And so you, when you look at the traditional Mount Sinai, which I did, in fact, I was accused of only looking at Jebel Allahs, because that's where I started. And the whole reason why I took this new approach was that um, uh, Egyptologist David Rolls said, you've only really considered one location. You're not being fair. And I thought, okay, then let me do this. I'm going to look at multiple mountains, and we're going to look at, and we ended up looking at the traditional Mount Sinai. There's another one called Jebel Sinia, uh, and that one is just north, northwest of the traditional Mount Sinai, where there's these inscriptions, uh, proto-Sinaitic inscriptions, which in our earlier film were connecting to the early writing of the Bible. And there, some people are interpreting these inscriptions, and they're saying that they're related to the Exodus, and that there's references to manna, and there's references to other things. So they're saying they believe that this other mountain, Jebel Sinia, which sounds like Sinai, um, and there's a mother mountain, I think, right next to it, Horebah, that they think, well, that's where it is. It's not down there at the traditional site. It's closer to these mines. And then there's a third mountain we looked at in the beginning, which was Hashem El-Tarif, and Egypt or uh, archaeologist Bryant Wood, uh, who was in some of my other films, uh, he points to that one, and he thinks that's on the trade, that's on the right trade routes, and there's the right crossing points there, and that's considered also a holy mountain. And so that, that was the first film. Now, this second film, I'm looking at um, Har Karkum in the Negev, and this was made popular by uh, Emmanuel Onadi, an Israeli archaeologist. When he was uh, surveying the area, he came upon this mountainous area that had thousands of inscriptions. And then he found something that he connected to the Bible. There were these 12 pillars, standing stones. And he, he knew enough to know that the Bible talked about that. And he thought, I'm at a holy site. I, I believe, and he actually wrote a book, and he says he believes that he's found 
the mountain of God in the Negev of Israel. So I went to that location and filmed with um, an archaeologist or a scholar, Deb Hearn. And uh, that, that's in the second film that we're going to be showing May 15th and May 17th. And some of these locations, Frank, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to go, uh, but you know what it's like <clears throat> until you get to go someplace, <clears throat> you really don't know, if you're looking at books, what it is. And um, by going to this film, some of the people will never be able to go to, to Israel or to Jordan or to Saudi Arabia. I'm going to take you there in this film. In, in the cinema, I'm going to take you there in an immersive experience uh, because I've seen this on the big screen, and it actually looks so much different than it does on our TV in the edit suite. Uh, it it's becomes alive, and that's why I want to encourage people to see this f- film in the theater. Yes, go to PatternsofEvidence.com, and uh, the, the Mount Sinai Part 2 film, Patterns of Evidence Mount Sinai Part 2, is going to be in the theater this Monday night and this Wednesday night. Well, it might be during the day, too. I don't know if they're showing matinees or not. But anyway, you can see. Go to PatternsofEvidence.com to see it there. Uh, now, uh, Tim, so you you look at three possibilities. Why does anyone suggest that the real Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia rather than the Sinai Peninsula? It goes back to where did Moses flee? And that is the, the ancient land of Midian. That's what the Bible tells us. And if you start to look at um, biblical text earlier, uh, you know, when, when Abraham told his sons that, you know, he sent them the way, he sent them to the east. And one of his sons was named Midian. Uh, and uh, so to the east means to the east of the promised land. And that gives you a clue that there's a connection there. In fact, that's the reason why Moses fled to Midian. He was fleeing to a distant family, you know, relative. Very distant, but it was still some f- group of people that he would have been familiar with. And he, f- he flees there. And when we looked at the archaeology, and when scholars started looking at this, they could see that it appears that Midian is in on the if anyone knows their maps, when they look at the Sinai Peninsula, there's a Y there. On the right-hand side of that Y is the Gulf of Aqaba. Midian, historically, is on that right-hand side in what today is now Saudi Arabia. So and, if... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Complete no, no go ahead. You go ahead. No, I was going to say, so if Moses, after he murdered the Egyptian slave master in the book of Exodus, as recorded there, he, he goes to Midian and then... That's where uh, he, he is until the Lord calls him. That's where he sees the burning bush. That's where the Lord calls him to Exodus. And we'll pick this up on the other side of the break. Why are we suggesting that the real Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia? Much more after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek. My guest today, Tim Mahoney, Thinking Man Films. Go to PatternsOfEvidence.com to see the movie this week in the theaters back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. I just got back from California after doing a conference with my friends Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane called Unshaken. You can go to unshakenconference.com. we got a couple more this year, one in Tucson, one in Nashville. But I was also there to speak with... Uh, my friend Jack Hibbs, Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, we uh, 
We did a joint sermon together on transitioning, why everyone's transitioning. The only question is, who are you transitioning into? And the reason we did that is such a hot topic, as you know, the whole transgender movement. And we wanted to highlight the fact that I have an updated version of Correct Not Politically Correct uh, about same-sex marriage and transgenderism coming out this Monday, May 15th at Amazon.com. That's where you can get it. It's called Correct Not Politically Correct. We are in that book giving the natural law, scientific, uh, common sense evidence that transgenderism, which is the new section of the book, is not good for individuals or the nation. We're not quoting Bible verses in there. So if you want the reasons why transgenderism isn't good for individuals or isn't good for uh, the country, uh, pick up a, new, a copy of the brand new edition of Correct Not Politically Correct. And we'll, in the next uh, podcast, talk more about this. Uh, but let me get back to my uh, friend Tim Mahoney because uh, his new movie is going to be out this Monday, May 15th. It's going to be in the theaters May 15th and May 17th. It's Patterns of Evidence, Mount Sinai Part 2. And uh, Tim, just before the break, you uh, were, t- were saying that uh, there's evidence that the real Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia and it's centered on Midian. Why do we think Mount Sinai is in Midian, which is really Saudi Arabia? Well, the reason for that has to do with, um, well, there's archaeology. There's pottery, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, I mean, that that became more clear. Uh, Yuri Zarns and Peter Parr, I did an interview with them. They were uh, their uh, mainstream archaeologist. Peter Parr was actually at Jericho with Kathleen Kenyon. Uh, and so I went to England to film him, and he uh, he had been there in the site uh, where there was, uh, I think they call it, uh, I think the pottery is called Kariah or Kariahware. Uh, and uh, we were at a particular location where they had the kilns and they found the pottery. And uh, there was even uh, an event that he talked about with the Saudis when they were talking about this. And they just had to acknowledge that, yes, the Midians were here. And uh, not only that, but there is dwellings there uh, that have for millennium been associated with Jethro and his family. Mm-hmm. Now, as archaeologists will tell you, you have to be careful with with traditions and understandings because there's wells of Moses in different places. There's mm-hmm. they're over there in the Sinai, and I've tried to be as objective as I possibly could be. But when you start putting the pattern together, when you look at the biblical context that says that uh, Midian and the, the sons of Abraham went to the east, and then you see these connections with with the, the history of the, of the location, you start finding the connections between Jethro and then the pottery. Uh, and then we, we, that's the reason why I think others started to look at this location, but it had been forbidden for such a long time to get there. There were even uh, Frank Moore Cross, uh, who is a Dead Sea Scrolls uh, scholar, uh, was very interested in that location. Yeah, he was a Harvard archaeologist, too, and he was yes. suggesting that uh, the real Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia. And, of course, the Apostle Paul says Mount Sinai, which is in Arabia, in Galatians chapter 4, and I don't think yes. Arabia was ever considered to be part of the Sinai Peninsula or the Sinai Peninsula was ever considered to be part of Arabia. Uh, Arabia is what we now know as Saudi Arabia. It's on the eastern side of the Gulf of Aqaba. Those of you who know your ge- uh, uh, geography, if you, if you look at Mount Sinai, as, as Tim said earlier, if you look at the left of uh, 
I should say the Sinai Peninsula. We look at the left of the Sinai Peninsula, you got Egypt. The right of the Sinai Peninsula, you've got Saudi Arabia. And so, Tim, you're saying that the crossing, the Red Sea crossing, was across Gulf of Aqaba. Am I correct about that? Yes, and and that goes back also to um, to biblical references. I think there's six times when the Gulf of Aqaba even uh, is mentioned and, and documented. And the very I think first time is when Moses talks about. Uh, the Gulf of Aqaba, in the sense, well, he calls it Yam Suf, mm-hmm. and it's the southern boundary of Israel. So Moses knew what he was talking about. This is the same Yam Suf that he talks about crossing, that the, the Israelites, the sea was parted. What's happened is, is that other scholars have said, well, there's multiple Yam Sufs, but not in the Bible. There's always the Gulf of Aqaba is the Yam Suf. That Yam Suf is the a sea that's in Hebrew. It's called Yam Suf. Uh, Yam means sea and then Suf. Some people believe it means um, uh, edge or boundary uh, or uh, the end of. Uh, some people suggest it means reed or or vegetation. And so that's the what question when it came up to, is it the sea of reeds or is it the sea of boundary? And if Moses's usage of it, it appears to me to be a sea of of boundary because it's the boundary of of the the nation of Israel, the southern boundary. So anyway, if you're on the if if the Israelites cross the Gulf of Aqaba, that puts them on the east side of of the Gulf. And that puts them into what would be ancient Midian, uh, and modern-day Saudi Arabia. Those are just some of the few things you're going to learn about in this film. There's a lot that we've uh, unfolded in this film that, uh, that you have to see and visually be able to see it as well. We also looked at another mountain. It was a volcano. Sir Cullen Humphreys from Cambridge, England, who is a material scientist, he's a person of faith. He's written books about, uh, he's written about the Exodus, and he takes a naturalistic look, and he thought that maybe Mount Sinai was a volcano because of the fire and the smoke and the shaking. And, and so we went and filmed that location further south of Jebel Allah's, and we, we allow him to, give, to make his case for that location. And so I want to say something, too. I've been at this for 20 years, and whenever we brought this up, there are some scholars that roll their eyes over their head and like, not that, that's a Ron Wyatt idea or whatever. Uh, but uh, And they were, they were dismissive of this because Ron Wyatt, for people who don't know him, he went and searched for a lot of things, Noah's Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the location of Mount Sinai, the sea crossing. Um, but there were scholars earlier on, and one of them was by the name of Charles Beek. He was a, a, uh, an English uh, scholar. He, I think, discovered the source of the Nile, and he was given a, an award by the National Geographic Society. Um, and so he started to explore this area, and you know what? I think he wrote a book about it, and he caused such a stir because everyone believed that Mount Sinai had to be in the Sinai Peninsula. But as he looked at the biblical text in the context of everything, he said Mount Sinai is in Arabia. And you know what? They took his award away for discovering the Nile. <laughs> they, they were so offended by that that they, they just felt that, uh, that he, was, uh, he had crossed the line. 
And uh, and anyway, so this battle has been going on here about the possibility of thinking outside the box. But we're not thinking outside the box. We're actually thinking inside the Bible, and that's the way. That's why I'm looking at these patterns. And you see so many patterns in this film, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, when you look at it, you go, wow, how have we missed this to this point? Uh, Tim, there are uh, some pretty dramatic discoveries around Mount Sinai uh, or around what you considered maybe to be the real Mount Sinai, what, what I do as well, and now other people are coming to realize it's probably Jabal El Laws. One... And you have, I think you probably have this in the scorecard. Ladies and gentlemen, if you go to PatternsofEvidence.com, you can actually download the scorecard of six different potential locations for Mount Sinai. And what Tim has done is he's put what the Bible says that, that should be characteristics of the mountain, the real Mount Sinai, or the area around the mountain. And he puts little check marks or little boxes uh on this scorecard and you can check off when you see it in the film and say, oh yeah, it's got that, it's got that. One of the little boxes that the Bible says should be a characteristic around Mount Sinai is, is this split rock, that uh, there should be a rock that Moses hits and a whole bunch of water comes out that maybe could, could uh, refresh maybe a million or two million people. Now, we probably think well, rock was probably a little bolder on the ground. He just touched this thing and water trickled out. That's That wouldn't have watered or refreshed uh, two million people. What kind of rock do we actually find not far from Jabal El Laws, Tim? Well, Jim and Penny Caldwell, when they were out uh, searching these areas and photographing and videotaping, they came upon this rock on the backside of the mountain. And it was, I don't know uh, how many stories, seven stories, eight stories tall. And, and I actually went there in 2003 and was able to, to, to see it for myself. It's a giant split rock. Uh, and they were so impressed by, by the size of it. Now, I have shown photography of this rock to uh, Yuri Zarns, uh, uh, who was also an archaeologist in Saudi Arabia. When he saw that rock, he goes, wow. That's impressive. Anybody at that time would have been drawn to that rock. It was uh, what's an amazing sight because it's up on a pinnacle. It's like on a small little rise. And then from there, it juts out into the sky. It looks like it was almost created. Uh, and um, in some cases, people looked at it. It's almost like a, a, a phallic symbol. Uh, it, and, and that's what, uh, when our Saudi guides looked at it, you know, they were, they were impressed they, and we didn't tell them what it was. They just saw it from a distance and everyone was looking at this rock. The Caldwells believe, uh, in their thinking that this was, uh, possibly a, a religious site. And this is also the location where, uh, there was, uh, a battle with, uh, the Amalekites and they, they're connecting this with the site of Rephidim where the... Moses was told, you know, the, the Israelites actually said they're going to, he thought they were going to kill him. And the Lord told him to go to this rock and, and that he would strike it and the water would come out. And that's, uh, that's what uh, the Caldwells have connected with this split rock. And then around this area, there are, appears to be activity. I don't know what it is, if it's altars. Uh, there's also what the Caldwells found n numerous, what they would identify as sling stones. 
uh, these large stones that are that are cut and they're 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 made to be round, and uh, looking for evidences of the battle, mm. and uh, so there was a, there was dwelling places there, and you're going to see all that in this movie. We're going to take you there. You're going to be able to see what the Caldwells uh, saw. We're we're going to be able to show you uh, some of the sling stones, and uh, you can decide for yourself if you think this is also another one of those connections to the biblical narrative. You also see signs of water erosion, dramatic water erosion coming from that rock and into the uh, area around it. So could be, ladies and gentlemen, the split rock. You'll see more if you go to PatternsOfEvidence.com and click on the movie coming out this Monday and Wednesday in theaters. You can see it there. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. As I said in the last segment, ladies and gentlemen, I just got back from Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, one of my favorite churches in America with the great Jack Hibbs. By the way, you can see our sermon on Real Life with Jack Hibbs. That's uh, that's on his YouTube channel. And I'm going to another great Calvary Chapel, this one in Old Bridge, New Jersey. My former stomping grounds there. Not, I didn't grow up far from there. That's Saturday, May 20th and Sunday, May 21st. All the details on our website. Then, TPUSA Faith Pastors Summit. That's going to be Wednesday, May 24th, and I'll be speaking. I'm actually moderating a panel there uh, on May 25th. That's Thursday. That's in Nashville, Tennessee. You can go to our website, learn more about it, or just go to TPUSA Faith. You'll find it there. So if you're anywhere near Nashville, love to see you there. Let's go back to my uh, friend Tim Mahoney, who's got a major motion picture coming to theaters May 15th and May 17th. It's about the Mount Sinai discoveries that he's made. And he's looking at three major possibilities for Mount Sinai. The one we're talking about right now is the one that the film uh, covers as well, is Jabal el-Laws. Now, Tim, we've talked a little bit about pottery. We've talked a little bit about the biblical evidence, which says Mount Sinai is in Arabia. We've also talked about the split rock of Horeb, which uh, is several stories high, and there's evidence of water erosion there. Uh, what about uh, the evidence for a golden calf altar? Is there such a thing? Because we know, according to the biblical text, there was one there. Well, this uh, this is a big question, uh, and there's been discussion about you know this golden calf altar, and you know there's a lot of inscriptions of bulls and bull worship. Uh, and there's a connection that uh, Joe Richardson, who's in the film, uh, is one of the lead spokespersons on this area where he's been seeing a connection. And we're going to show you an example of what, a, what an inscription looks like in Egypt of someone with their hands underneath a bowl, underneath a, a I don't know if it's a cow or a bowl, uh, and then the same type of inscription that's there at Jebel Allah's. Now, what's interesting is that the Israelites had just made a covenant with God. They had all said, you know, we will be your people. And they agreed to this. And then Moses goes up to the mountain for a while, and he's gone for too long, I guess, <laughs> because the Israelites started to get nervous about this. And they asked Aaron, they said, will you make us a God? We don't know what's happened to Moses. And for whatever reason, I have not figured this out, but Aaron decides to take gold and he makes a golden calf. 
And this is a very interesting thing that I want to explore more. Uh, but this idolatry that was coming out of Egypt followed the Israelites right to Mount Sinai, and they build this golden calf. And when Moses comes down, he sees this, and he's distraught, and he destroys these uh, Ten Commandments that God gave him. And then he tells the Levites, he says, get a sword and kill those people who are doing this type of worship. Now, Frank, I could have gotten into a lot more. In my research, I couldn't put this all in the film. But whenever there's this type of idolatry, it's always filled with a certain level of sexual perversion. Mm. And the Bible's being polite in how it describes what was going on, but it says that people began to play. But in all the times and historically in with this idolatry, it's always something that adds that that has to deal with this other stuff that goes on. And I didn't put that in the movie, but it's you know if you want to dig deeper into it, it's there. Uh, and so what we ended up seeing, so you say, well, what's the pattern that you could find there? And what people like Joel Richardson and others are pointing to is that there are these inscriptions there. But what's even, to me, more fascinating, because it's physical, and I've talked to the archaeologist, there's a massive graveyard that is, I think it's like 12 or 13 football fields massive, and it's filled with standing stones. Now, the, the, the thing that's hard to imagine is, is that there's no communities. It's not like there's a city there. So why in the world, in the middle of the wilderness, in this out-of-the-way place, is there a massive graveyard with these tombstones? And you're going to see that. When you come to the film, uh, which is going to be, as we said, May 15th and May 17th, you're going to be able to experience and see what this looks like. And then you're going to hear from, you know, like Yuri Zarens. This is an absolutely fascinating location because uh, any archaeologist would like to examine that graveyard and see what they would find. And so this... There are many different patterns of evidence that we're going to be revealing. Uh, one, another one which I found fascinating was the source of water. Because even today, there's a stream that's pouring out of this mountain, at Jebel Laws, and there are this, there's this lower area, and it looks like it might have been a lake at one time. And then they found these, these man-made like uh, filtering systems that are water, like wells, but they're enormous. They're like 18 feet, and there's numerous of these wells. In fact, since then, I've found five of them. I've seen five of them, I believe is what is showing in the archaeology. All these things connect together are pointing to the fact that this potentially really adds up to being the location where the Israelites came to meet God. Yeah, and there's so much evidence surrounding this mountain that we can't talk about it all here in this podcast. You're going to have to see the film. It's called Patterns of Evidence, Mount Sinai Part 2. It's coming to a theater near you uh, this Monday, May 15th, and this Wednesday, May 17th. And you can see it by going to PatternsofEvidence.com and see where it is in your neighborhood. Uh, by the way, I also noticed uh, that, and Bob Cornuke discovered this uh, over 30 years ago, that there is what appears to be an altar there, Tim. They, the Saudis originally had a uh, chain link fence around it, but you could see inscriptions of bulls, like golden calves, or calves anyway, in these rocks. And those inscriptions are still there, correct? I mean, you've been there. We're going there in November. By the way, those of you that are listening, you say, Frank, you're going there? Yeah, we've got a trip to Israel and then the real Mount Sinai, which we think is Jabal Allah's. 
but it's full, so you can't join anymore, okay? We, we, we filled it up quite quickly, but these inscriptions are still there, correct? Yeah, that's right. And we, you're going to be able to see those inscriptions. You're going to see like the first footage that was ever taken of them. Mm -hmm. uh, that's in the movie right now. And uh, yeah, and it's wonderful. Now things have changed and you're, uh, you have now freedom to actually go to these locations. And uh, Frank, why do you think that, I, I, I always ask questions because I'm, I'm an interviewer as well, but to you, why do you think this is significant? Well, I, th I think any archaeological evidence that uh, deals with the scriptures uh, is significant because it helps us believe that the scriptures are true. It doesn't save us because you have to go from belief that to belief in, but it gives us more confidence that what actually occurred in history really did occur. And when you see the markers around this mountain, Tim, and you've done a beautiful job of uh, illustrating it for people that have never been there and probably will never get to go there, I think the evidence that you present uh, gives people comfort who do believe that the scriptures are true because they look at this and they go, yeah, we see that, we see that, we see that, we see that. And that's what your scorecard does. You know, you've got all these things on your scorecard going, yep, I see that, I see that, I see that. That's what the Bible says. This is, this is what we should find if this is the real Mount Sinai. So it, 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 it gives us confidence to believe that uh, at least this passage in Scripture is telling us the truth, the Exodus. And uh, for those of you that, that don't know, Titus Kennedy and uh, Steve Meyer and myself did a, a program on the evidence for the Exodus. We haven't had time to get into it here, uh, but we talked about it. I, in fact, I talked about it on a podcast just a couple of weeks ago. But if you go back to uh, 2020 and you look back in the archives, you got to go to you got to get our app to do this, friends. It's not going to be up on uh, Apple or wherever you get apps or wherever you uh, listen to podcasts now. Get the cross-examined app, two words in the app store, and go into archives. Look back in. It's probably March of 2020, if I'm remembering correctly. Look for the top 10 pieces of evidence from Egypt for the Exodus. That's what Titus Kennedy, the archaeologist, Stephen Meyer, and myself covered in that podcast. But let me go back to you, Tim. What does it mean to you? Because you had a crisis of faith early on when, when, when people were saying, oh, the Exodus never occurred, there's no evidence for the Exodus. I think that the Bible told the Israelites, and I think it's the telling us as well, do not forget what God did by bringing you up out of Egypt. I believe it's over 150 times this is a warning. And when I prayed about this, because I've spent a 20, you know, two decades on this, I was asking God, what is this about? And I felt like I was saying, this is remembrance and forewarning. And so what does that mean? Well, I can understand the remembrance. It's easy for us to forget what God did by bringing these people out. But what are, what are we being warned of? And I think we need to be warned of the fact that, that, uh, it's easy to forget what God has done. And in this film, um, I it's easy to look at what all the troubles are. I could see that the Israelites were called to go to this mountain to worship God. And I also uh, was struggling with fear in the last year. And uh, I, I actually saw a pastor at a coffee shop, and he said, how's it going? And I said, I don't even know where to begin. And he looked at me, and I, I felt the Lord speaking through him. He says, you need to spend more time in worship. Mm. With the type of things that you're doing, you need to spend more time in worship. And I believe that it, almost like worship is like an, an offensive uh, um, weapon 
because, and it's also defensive because it allows us to take our eyes off. Uh, remember that song? It was "Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, yes. <laughs> Look Full." I forgot the rest of it, but you know, uh, uh, the things of earth will grow strangely, strangely dim. dim in the light of you know, His glory and, and grace. Yeah. Right. right. I think that each one of us, here's what I've come out of this. Here's what I've learned. And we're going to, God, the Israelites were given a mission at Mount Sinai. We are on a mission. All of us need to go to the mountain. God's delivered us from bondage. We've gone through the sea. Now we're on a mission and we have to say, okay, what is that? What am I supposed to be doing? And then keep my eyes on him, not on the problems. Mm. And so what I'm doing now is I need to spend more time in worship with my fight. And so I got my guitar out and my wife and I just one evening, just like for an hour and a half. And all of a sudden, all the things that I was fearful of were gone. Mm. They disappeared mm. because I could see what God was. I, I just felt the presence of God in my life. And I think the forewarning is that we need to learn how to worship the Lord personally, not just once in a while. That's a good word, Tim, to end this on. You need to see the film, ladies and gentlemen. It's called uh, Patterns of Exodus of, of Evidence, Mount Sinai. Go to PatternsofEvidence.com, PatternsofEvidence.com, and you can see the movie in your neighborhood this Monday, May 15th, or this Wednesday, May 17th. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. Bring some friends. It's going to be a great discussion. All right, see you here next time. Lord willing, God bless.